Welcome to episode number 281 of Destination Linux, a text digital podcast. Woohoo! <laughs> Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Jill. I'm Michael. And I'm Ryan. Woohoo! <laughs> I just I wanted to join in the excitement. I, I, I approve. Eight Destination Linux Extreme! <laughs> so on this week's awesome episode of Destination Linux, we're going to be guiding you to the best alternatives to all of the Adobe Creative Cloud tools. Then we will be discussing a new phone that's guaranteed to get your open source blood flowing. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All this and more coming up right now on Destination Linux to keep those penguins marching. So this week, let's find out what Michael's been up to lately. Michael, what have you been up to in the world of Linux? So I, I have a lot of stuff I've been working on, but I want to talk about something specific too that relates to this show, because we're going to be talking about some art-related stuff in the show. And I've been working on some art this week, uh, multiple different things of art this week, actually. And I wanted to show it off here in the visuals on the video. So if you're watching the or listening to the audio-only version, you can check out the visuals in the video version this week because they are going to be important to this particular piece. And as you can see here, there are three different uh, art pieces that I've done for the new name of my channel, Tunnel Vision. Also, Das Geek. I decided to update Das Geek's channel. He didn't even know I was doing that. I just felt like doing it. Blue. So it I did. Good man. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And I also made some new podcast art for Linux Saloon, and I used a piece of software that we're going to be talking about later in the show. That's an alternative to the Adobe Suite. So that's going to be sweet. <laughs> anyway, uh, I also have been working <laughs> on another thing that uh, that's a, another piece of art that's related to this, and we're going to be going to scale. We've talked about that on a couple of episodes. And we decided to make a banner to take to scale with us to kind of promote all the different po podcasts and shows and stuff like that, that we have on the network. And this is what the banner looks like that we're going to be making. So hopefully you like it. Let us know in the comments what you think and also on the forum. I'm curious what you think. I know Ryan loves it because um, basically he loves every piece of art that I make which is proof by the DOS. I am thing. a fan. I am a fan of your art and it's because it's truly awesome. Like I don't like complimenting you, but in this <laughs> case, uh, I have to, your art here is incredible. The work that you do with the logos is incredible. Mm -hmm. The whole design of this, the color usage. So I did have a part in the colors. I want to say, I feel like I had a part in that you because did. we spent all night looking at different products to figure out the right shades of blue and things that advertisers use to kind of get people's attention and things. So there's so much work that goes into this. It's not like Michael can just sit down and just start putting logos around on a page and make a banner. Right. But in this case, we were trying to find the right blues that would pop the most with the logos behind them. And then you had to create a whole new logo set that would work for certain shows because a lot of us all have our banners already, but they don't necessarily fit in this format. So you had to go create brand new logos so that it would fit and have that pop that we're looking for. But my favorite part is the last logo there, which is add your show here, because this is an open network and people mm -hmm. can come and join Destination Linux. If you've got something that you've created, if it's family friendly and meets some of the standards that we have, you can come join this network. And that to me, promoting that at the conference is pretty awesome because I'm sure there's a lot of people there who want to become creators there. 
But your work here, Michael, honestly, it's just, it's incredible. I absolutely love it. I cannot wait to see this banner in person. Oh, what yeah. did you use to so create cool. it? Well, we're going to mm -hmm. be talking about it later in the show. And uh, it's it's actually Photopea. I used Photopea to create it. I also used something else to create it. And we'll talk about that when we get towards in the main Fine. topic. Make me wait. I, nice. I, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> and it's a little bit more depth that we got to cover. But also, I just want to make sure everybody knows I was not fishing for compliments. But... I appreciate that I got them, so. <laughs> you don't have to. This really is tremendous work. You do amazing work mm -hmm. for the network, and we appreciate it. Yeah, I actually can't wait to see what it looks like either because I've not really done these sorts of things for conferences. Most of my work, I've done print work and digital work, but this is kind of a combination of both. And also, it's a, you know, it's a very gigantic banner for that you can't really see on yeah. the screen. So for those who don't know, I'm a fairly tall person, and this is much taller than me. I think this is going to be a little bit more than seven feet tall, something like that. So uh, it's going to be interesting wow. to see this completely completed. I and Jill, wait. that is seven foot by 70 foot. So we hope that you got us a big enough booth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We really <laughs> want people to see Destination Linux here. Okay, so, so Ryan, this is not really practical to use our style of describing things for the virtual stadium, where it's... You know, we can endlessly talk. This is actual oh. size of a product. So unfortunately, it's not going to be 70. <laughs> I want a 70-foot banner. All right, 70 next foot time. banner or nothing. Next yeah. time, I promise. Yeah, Michael, to reiterate what Ryan said, I love your eye for design and your use of color. You just, you're brilliant, brilliant at that, truly. Thank you. Thank you. Ooh, someone mentioned putting a QR code in there, right? That's a terrible idea, oh. too, for scanning. Oh, yeah. That's pretty dope. I like it. Thank well, you for that. I will, I will have to adjust my design to fit that, but I like the idea, so now I have to figure out where to put the QR code. <laughs> we could just print one out on paper and put it over your beautiful design. You just stick it on the banner, <laughs> you know? Go. Exactly. Yeah, we'll just That's... ruin the banner. That's how I would solve this problem. <laughs> That's how I do. That's how I do art. You know what? I just realized this episode, there is, you definitely want to watch the video version of this because later on, I'm going to give a little sneak peek. There is a piece of my art that we'll be displaying and I expect <laughs> Jill and Michael that I get the compliments I gave back in spades when you see my art here that I work. Hey, on. Ryan, I don't know if I'd call that art. What? <laughs> Jill. Wow. Jill. Jill. <laughs> the loving, beautiful Jill has attacked. <laughs> I love what it. What is happening? I love it. The, the, the honesty right there, Ryan, you just got to respect heart, it. My heartstrings just tore in half. You know what? We have to recover from this by getting into the community feedback. We'll talk to you later, Jill, about the <laughs> Okay. So this week's community feedback comes from Jack. And if you want to send your own feedback, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash contact to get in touch or join the Tux Digital community forum by going to tuxdigital.com and clicking on the forum link at the top. Jack goes on to say, there is something special about Destination Linux. It's like a familiar and cozy environment where you always want to return to. I've been looking for something like this for a long time. To be honest, I'm not a person who follows a lot of podcasts. I try to stay focused on my work, and I usually don't follow YouTube channels or podcasts because most of the time I think it's a waste of time. But Destination Linux is different. Consider yourself the best podcast on the entire internet, in my humble opinion, and the only one on my list that tells the truth. Michael must be a positive and friendly person because through his work, he attracts such wonderful people. Wait. 
Absolutely agreed. Hundred percent. What? Absolutely agreed. Most yeah. positive for sure. Actually, a lot of people say this. I've heard many people say this that uh, uh-huh. me and Jill are essentially the same person. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so many people. I've heard. Like, I've heard that so many times. I've heard you I'm, say it so many times. Okay, that's 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 at least one person though, Ryan. So it's true. It's true. <laughs> you know what? I'll give it to you. They go on to say, you brought back something I hadn't seen in a long time, especially in the online environment. Good jokes, silly pranks, and all the conversational dynamics make the podcast so enjoyable. But above all, you brought information in a way I've never seen before, especially for this community where the conversation tone is usually different. Finally, I'd like to leave a question for everyone. What stickers deserve to be on your notebook? You know what? I just love this email so much. Not only is it so kind, I feel like Jill wrote it. Like, it really is one of the (laughs) nicest emails I think we've ever received. Unfortunately, it was very long, so I had to condense some portions of it. But it just went on, and it was just so kind. But this question is such a good one. I have so much to say on this topic just recently. We'll get there. He wants to know what stickers deserve to be on your notebooks. Many people use stickers on notebooks. Some people use stickers to support projects, which is a good attitude. So if you had to choose the projects you'd be supporting by putting stickers on your notebook, which project would those be they can't be that few because the stickers only look beautiful in the notebook from about 10 thank you for the attention and the wonderful podcast jack jack first of all thank you for being you and being such an awesome person and taking the time to send such an amazing email you have no idea how much this encourages us and everyone on the network frankly when we receive stuff like this so it means a lot Uh, Going to your question, though, on stickers, this is a really interesting one because I was hunting down a very pricey laptop recently on eBay. And one of the things I actually look for to get a very pricey laptop for almost nothing is people who put stickers all over their laptops. The reason is, is because stickers actually seem to, for whatever reason, people do not want to go through the effort of removing said stickers and so laptops that say would go for $800 sometimes will sell for $1 or $200 because they have stickers all over them. Yeah. And removing those stickers because your personalization of things that you like, somebody else doesn't like. In fact, there's one laptop that has anime stickers on it. The laptop is worth $900 and the top bid is $150 right now because there's stickers on it. Mm-hmm. And so... Getting those stickers off is a little bit of a pain, but it can be done easily. So that's one thing I want to point out about stickers. But as far as, so I usually don't put stickers on my equipment for that very reason, because I'm constantly selling and buying new equipment. And I know that value gets hurt tremendously by stickers and removing them can be a pain, although it can be done. But sometimes you do remove some of the finish off of the top of the laptop case, depending on what they utilize. But for me, the companies I would put a sticker on my laptop for, EFF, Mm -hmm. Tor, Blender, Red Hat, Fedora, Arch, any of those, I would put a sticker on for OBS and Destination Linux stickers or any of our shows I would definitely put on. Usually I put stickers on that poster back there that you can't really see very well right now, but I showed in our behind the scenes view. As soon as I get stickers from folks, I kind of put them in the back there. But those are some of the brands I would definitely consider putting on my laptop. Michael, what about you? What are some stickers you put on your laptop? I don't think you do stickers either. I've never seen your stickers on your laptop. I don't do stickers either. And it's not because of the same. I didn't even know that that was a thing that would happen with the price of the the hardware. That's interesting. I just don't have the, I don't have a lot of stickers to use in the first place. It's more of like, I just like the sleekness of the designs of the computers themselves. So I feel like that kind of pulls it away from it. And so that might be why the the quality of the price goes, you know, might drop so much. And uh, so I just used to uh, put on backpacks and, oh, especially my laptop case and stuff like that. 
I do like to put it there. Uh, but I would put, you know, Fedora, KDE, uh, PHP, Sublime Text, OBS, of course, OBS, mm -hmm. and even Mozilla Firefox. Uh, of course, Steam, and uh, n naturally, Destination Linux and Tux Digital, and basically everything a part of Tux Digital because there's so much great stuff. TuxDigital.com, check it out. So you're going <laughs> to put a sticker of my face on your laptop. We're agreeing here. Like if I send you a sticker of my face and then put Tux Digital at the top, you'll put it on your laptop? Hold on a second. I got an idea. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at that. There we look go. Look at that beauty. You've got a whole DOS Geek logo the size of a regular human face, and gotta, you're going to scotch tape it. I got to tape it on the back of the laptop lid because that's it's going to take up the majority of the laptop lid. I expect but. to see that on at scale. <laughs> I expect that to see on your laptop you're traveling around with. Awesome idea. I love that you just keep that around, by the way. That's, that's yeah. really touching, Michael. I knew where it was, but no, it's not. I don't keep it around. I just knew where it was. You clearly keep it around because you had it there. So, Jill, what kind of stickers would you put on your laptop? Yeah, so I have do have stickers on my laptop, but I'm very, very, very picky about how they look. I don't like them overlapping. I'm very OCD about their position. So I usually only have between um, uh, five and ten on my laptops. So obviously the first one is a destination Linux sticker, <laughs> which Naturally. I have on all my laptops now. Linux Chicks of Los Angeles, the oh, nice. uh, organization that I'm one of the coordinators of. The Southern California Linux Expo. Scale. <laughs> yes, scale. Lots of Chex Penguin stickers. Everything that Michael and Ryan said, because I love them all, and... Any of the thousand Linux and open source stickers from my cabinet that's next to me, which includes yeah. <laughs> everything that Michael and Ryan uh, <laughs> said. I've got EFF stickers on there. I even I have uh, Steam stickers. I've got OBS stickers on there, Fedora, Red Hat. You name it. Every distro is represented on this cabinet. <laughs> it's fantastic because we, t we talk about like whether we use stickers or not. And then the whole time, I didn't even think about the fact that in jill's camera you can see yeah. like hundreds of stickers <laughs> literally yeah <laughs> but i love the one that's yeah. most pronounced is the destination linux sticker up there yes. in the corner in frame yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> important i appreciate absolutely. that absolutely <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i use in in fact i am so OCD about sticker collecting that I make sure to get at least two of every sticker that I own so that I could put one in a scrapbook or on a laptop and then one on my cabinet. Nice. <laughs> nice. Well, Jack, uh, amazing email. Awesome question. Thank you so much for sending it. It really made a huge difference for all of us to see those type of emails. So thank you very oh, much. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. And you know what another great sticker would be? What's Digital that? Digital Ocean. I want one. I have one on here. Lucky. Awesome. That is yeah. awesome. I need to get we need to get some now too. <laughs> yeah. So cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. And at DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. With DigitalOcean, you also get predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. And also, you can get support at every stage of growth. 
Whether you're a team of one person or a team of a thousand people, with DigitalOcean, you get simple, powerful cloud computing for all types of sizes of teams, and you can get growing at DigitalOcean. And as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. It's better than free, actually. And with DigitalOcean, you're going to get a $100 free credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, go get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So this week, I wanted to talk about a common issue that I see discussed, whether it's in forums or in message boards, live chat, where people are wanting to come to Linux. But one of the things that's keeping them from coming to Linux is Adobe support. Now, this isn't a Linux issue in the fact that Linux could run Adobe software perfectly fine if Adobe would just make it so that was so, yeah. but they don't. So it's not like Linux is not technically capable of running Adobe products. They just don't make it for it. And I hope one day they do change their mind. But until that time, we're going to go over, we're going to help people parkour over this hurdle, in fact, because Michael and me will be doing some parkour at scale probably Naturally, with, our, of course. with our action cameras that Wendy convinced <laughs> yep. us to buy, even though we're the least actionable human beings. What are you talking planet. about? I can't wait. People are going to see how, like, we're going to just shred it. We're going to shred the Shredded. parkour park or whatever. We got the words down. I don't know that we have the physique down, but we got the words for sure <laughs> to act like we're really actionable people. But in any case, we're going to hurdle over this for you uh, and figure out ways that you can replace some of these items that Adobe subscription service offers, which is very expensive, by the way, at $59.99 a month to have access uh. into this <laughs> suite of products. And this is one of the beautiful things that Linux and open source does is that a lot of people simply can't afford $60 a month, but they want to be artists. That is in their goals or they're going to school to be artists. They can't afford this suite. And so what do we do? They just can't become an artist because they can't afford the $60 a month. So what we're going to do is talk about options for replacing Photoshop, Illustrator, Premiere Pro, InDesign, Lightroom, and Adobe Express. But before we get started, I want to be clear. We're going to give you alternatives, but not every alternative depending on your use case, is going to be better than the Adobe solution. That's just an unfortunate reality that we're living in. There are some really good stuff that Adobe makes, but also there's some other alternatives that are really good, depending on the space. And I also wanted to make a quick note about professional tools. We hear the, the, the term thrown around all the time with professional, but what exactly does it mean? So I have three different classifications for what I consider to be a professional application or where people would fit in these types of applications. So there's a focus professional, then there's an indirect professional and an everyone else. So with focus professional is that the application is used by someone it is intended to be used for in a professional level. For example, some with Photoshop, you would have someone who uses it as a day-to-day -day thing for like 90% of their work and they're, they're focused on using that particular application. Whereas an indirect professional is someone who can use this type of software for something related to their work, but that's not the main goal of their work. And then everyone else is just, you know, amateurs or people who just want to play with these different pieces of software. So that's how I would classify it because when a lot of times you'll hear people say, well, this is not good for professionals, but they don't specify what kind of professional they're talking about. Right. No, I think that's a good clarification mm -hmm. there. And everything we're going to cover here, we're going to give you some alternatives that work on Linux, but may not be open source. 
So just keep that in mind. If that triggers you, I don't know, plug your ears or something, but we're trying <laughs> to give the best options yeah. to get people moved over to the Linux platform, even if that may include something that's not fully open source yet. Um, Jill, I have a question for you. You teach classes yes. in college on things like animation, and the topic comes up, I'm sure, where students are like, hey, I need to utilize some software. What options can I utilize? And you probably have students that come to you with Linux or they want to run something mm -hmm. open source. So what do you do as a professor in those cases when the industry standards may naturally point them towards something like Adobe instead? Yeah, well, that, that's one of the beauties of, um, I, I teach advanced courses. So what's really nice is often the students, you know, have learned the Adobe suite from the, begin the beginning and intermediate courses. So I have the joy of showing them all the open source options because they use Linux when they come to my classroom. <laughs> nice. It's just awesome. I actually show my students the best open source options available. The GIMP is, or GIMP, is great for creating quick textures for 3D animation and motion graphics and for converting their files to different file formats. Krita is the perfect tool for making hand-drawn artwork or brush strokes to bring in into their animations. And PhotoP is an awesome online alternative to Photoshop. So for those students who just haven't really used anything other than Photoshop, I will often uh, tell them, just go ahead and use PhotoP for your projects. What I like is, so this kind of goes into our first subject of alternatives to Adobe Photoshop. So you've kind of given the three alternatives there. We've got GIMP, Krita, and PhotoP as the alternatives to Photoshop. Now, Michael, I have to ask, when it comes to Photoshop and being able to replace it with these sources, talking again from there's people like me where any of the open source options, I know this is going to shock you, work perfectly fine for all of my artistic capabilities. I see no limitations to them at all. But for other folks mm -hmm. who actually do art and things professionally, where they make money doing this, uh, you have seen some of those limitations. So let's talk about this. Is all the Are the alternatives that we talked about here going to be able to replace Photoshop for everyone or most people, or where does that fall in your mind? It's an interesting question, and I'll break it down with the classifications I gave earlier. So these, uh, all of these options right here are totally fine and will provide most of what people want in the everyone else category. So I would say 90% of people who would be using these types of applications would totally be fine with using any of them. They would accomplish what they need to for the most part. It depends on how you know, detailed you want to get into it, but in terms of the basics of just resizing, cropping, or like red, uh, red eye removal and stuff like that, any of them will work for that purpose. When you go into the indirect professional realm, then you have some of them will be able to utilize these tools. And I, would, I, don't, I can't really say exactly how many, depending on what classification of what category and industry they're in. But I would say that, for example, photographers could use GIMP and Krita to do some of their touch-ups and stuff like that and, because they're an indirect professional, so they're using it maybe 5-10% of the time. When you're in the focus professional, where like I am, where I'm most of the time in these types of applications... I would have to say that Krita is a solid option in terms of what it can do, even though it's not really intended to do a Photoshop alternative. It's impressive how much you can do in Krita. 
And with Photopea, I would say that it is 80% as good as Photoshop. I wouldn't put it in the sense of like, it's not super close in terms of there are certain things it can't do. Like it can't support CMYK and they don't really have any plans to doing it. And also depending on your hardware, there's a massive resource requirement depending on how big of the art you're using. Like for example, we talked about earlier with the banner I made for scale. I made that in Photopea as a testing to see how how far can I take Photopea before it get, kind of gives up. And this is a giant file. I think the last time I checked the file size was like 500 or 600 megabytes of a file. And it's just too much for Photopea to handle. So it just started crashing the application. I had to uh, switch over to Photoshop in order to accomplish that particular piece. So I still use Photoshop if I have to, but it's it's rare now. It's actually been, I got away with using Photopea for two years without even opening Photoshop. And in sometimes I kind of, well, it just, I run into a problem where I have to use it. So I do have that as a spare just in case. To dig in there a little bit though, because I actually saw this live. Michael was working on the banner when he was at my house a few weeks back and he was trying to do everything he could to manipulate the banner he needed through Photopea. And then it got to a certain point where it just crashed. And I was like, try Chromium browser. I'm just curious if that makes a difference. Cause you know, naturally Michael's in Firefox. And it didn't. It still crashed again in there. So this kind of talks about why I think Photopea needs an app that you can actually download on your computer because there's only so much you're going to be able to do and load into a browser. But Photopea's capabilities are amazing. But when you talk about utilizing Adobe, you don't utilize the cloud subscription service. You actually have the old independent version, I believe, on a BM that you're running it that way, which is an alternative for professionals who still want to use Linux, right? Is just to run something like an older Photoshop on a virtual machine. I have run into a couple of cases where I had to get the subscription version, the Creative Cloud, and that is very rare. So what I would do is set up a VM, and you can download a VM that has actually from Microsoft View if you want to, that gives you like 90 days for free, and then I would load it up, do what I need to do, and then kill the VM. And that is a solution I've had to do in the past, but it's it, I think I've done it only twice ever. And over the course of the decades I've been doing this, so that's not a, a huge amount. Then there's also the uh, VM I do have that is a old version of Photoshop because it was before the Creative Cloud was introduced. It was the version right before that. And I have that one just because of I don't want to use the Creative Cloud if I don't have to. And because I already paid for that version, I can use that as long as I want to. And as long as it accomplishes what I need, then I can do it. But I try to avoid it as much as possible. And Photopea allows me to do that very well. So I was ecstatic when I found Photopea. I, I know I went to Ryan and said, oh my God, I can't, I can't wait to show you this. This actually allows me to do work without having to have Photoshop. This is so much, so much of a game changer for me. And it has been for a long time, especially when I'm doing digital work. Print work can be an issue in Photopea, but uh, the digital work is fantastic and I am a big fan. It has all the stuff that I really love about the non-destructive editing style of Photoshop, like uh, smart, smart, option, smart objects, smart filters, adjustment layers, uh, layer styles, all these things that are practical for the professional in Photoshop are available in Photopea. That's why I'm a big fan of it. But I will say... I kind of skipped over one of them, and that's the the GIMP, and it's because the GIMP is not really professional re ready. Like it's, in terms of indirect professionals, you can kind of get away with using it, but in terms of people who have to be in it all day every day, it's just not even possible. as somebody who's not a professional. Like to me, 
the GIMP is one of those things where I look at it and it just looks old and outdated and I don't like its interface. Which brings me to a question, Michael. Like, I do love the interface of Krita. I love being in mm -hmm. Krita. Krita makes me mm -hmm. feel like I want to go create art, even though I can't. It makes me feel that way. And so I kind of want to ask the question, what is the difference between a photo manipulation program like Adobe Photoshop or GIMP and Krita? Can you do everything you need to do with Krita? Can people just skip GIMP and go to Krita and do that there? Well, in terms of the indirect professional, yes. I would say pretty much if you wanted to, if you're a, a photographer and you want to do some touch-ups, you can just use Krita, Krita and it's probably fine. I, I don't have any issues that I've run into where I couldn't do certain things in that level. When you're talking about the focus professional, neither one of them really fit that vibe because the the stuff that you want in Photoshop is more more the workflow and the flexibility, not necessarily like filters and functions because those things are important, but the, the workflow is the most important thing. And Krita has a very good level of workflow that kind of works along the same lines, but it doesn't have all the functions as well. So it just kind of, it, ha it hits the workflow style, but not the functions. And GIMP hits somewhat of the functions, but not everything and doesn't have the workflow at all. So that's why it's just not a practical option. But the difference between a, a, what GIMP is and what Krita is, is that one is an image manipulator and the other one is a painting tool. So it's focusing more on a particular type of art versus the image manipulation concept, which is what Photoshop is also. And this is a way to basically modify anything. So it's a much more broader scope and requires a lot more flexibility. And being able to do non-destructive editing is the most important piece because with image manipulation, you're gonna be making changes to something, but you also may create something from scratch and you also may wanna make changes later in the future and from all sorts of different layers. You know, if you want to change the way something looks, but you also want to change the way that like just a slight tiny piece of it with non-destructive, you can do every degree, whatever you want. Whereas GIMP is destructive, mostly it's like 95% destructive. And therefore a professional in this space doesn't even consider it because if they can't go back and make changes, then they're not even going to even try to use this application because it just doesn't fit. Now, I've seen people talk about the interface of GIMP or the shortcuts of GIMP as if that's a blocker, and that's not the blocker. Like that, you can, you can skip, you, it would be nice to have the consistency with how things work, but it doesn't have to. It's the functionality of destructive versus non destructive. That's the biggest kicker. And in the CMYK mm -hmm. support, right? CMYK is important for people who do print work. But if you just do yeah. digital work, then you don't need CMYK. That's why Photopea is good for a lot of people because you can get away with not using CMYK. But it also has non destructive editing, which is because it has that, it makes it viable. Because GIMP doesn't have it, it can't be a focused professional, just can't even consider it. So the best case scenario here, and then we got to move on to some others, is that Photopea decides, because they're brilliant developers, to create this powerful of an application in a web-hosted design mm -hmm. like they have, <laughs> get Photopea developers to go open source and bring Photopea into Linux, and then we would have the yeah. replacement for Photoshop <laughs> near perfect. I mean, that'd be great. I don't have a preference that it needs to be open source necessarily. However, making it work in Linux as a native application would be amazing. Like it would be just the game, the biggest game changer period. It It'd would be game changing I, like gaming was for Linux. Cause you remember yes. six mm -hmm. years ago, gaming sucked on Linux. 
we had, and also we'll get into it, video editing wasn't so great either, but things have changed around those two areas. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we've talked about it a lot during that time, trying to encourage developers and things to take it serious, how important gaming was, and it really changed things. And I think Photoshop is one of those where we do have alternatives. And in Jill's case, you can utilize them because Jill has that power, that seniority to be able to kind of force students to utilize that. But in most cases, most educational institutions are going to focus on Adobe Creative Cloud because that's the standard. And frankly, the options that we have aren't quite there up to par with it. But there are other things in the Adobe category where I think we do have alternatives Mm -hmm. that are up to par much closer. And let's talk about Illustrator for a second. So Jill, let's start with you. What are some alternatives if people are looking to replace Adobe Illustrator in the open source world and how good are they? Oh, Inkscape is wonderful. It's, I, I think like Photopea, it's about 80% there. It's, 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 it's getting closer. Close. And because you can code in it and create your own extensions, that makes it so powerful. And so that, that's the one uh, that I recommend for my students instead of Illustrator. And honestly, most of them that I've started using Inkscape were really impressed. They're like, this is free? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. really impressed. So that's just it's it's really nice. And as you were saying um earlier, Ryan, in the video editing and animation space, that's a whole different story. That is Linux <laughs> all the way. Yes. 100%. With Inkscape, yeah. I I'm a big fan of Inkscape. I uh, I've been watching it the development for years and it has been like just the past couple of years has skyrocketed in its usability and its professionalism yeah. in terms of not professionalism in terms of like how it per, you know portrays itself or anything but in the sense of how the, the app the functions it has and features it has for professionals who need certain things when they introduced uh, they're currently in Inkscape 1.2 which is like the numbers is not really accurate of how many times they've made releases because they were zero point something for like 15 years so I'm glad that they've they're you know kind of doing the more new versions, but they they have one that's 1.2, and it's a significant update. I, I would suggest they just start doing the regular normal version numbers because it makes it more clear how much the difference is in that sense. But when they introduced 1.0, it was a huge update, and they added a bunch of features that make Inkscape awesome, like being able to rotate the canvas, which is mm-hmm. not that important for a lot of people, but it's for, for, for people who are focused professionals, that is critical. And when they introduced that, I was so excited to play with it, and it has provided a lot of value that I think that it is, like you were saying, 70 80% close to Illustrator. There are certain workflows that Illustrator makes things easier, but for the most part, I think that Inkscape can absolutely do what you want it to do. Now, I, I know there are, so we talked about earlier about like the, the shortcuts and the interface not being exactly like how, you know, GIMP and Photoshop or whatever. I, I know there are some who say that these applications shouldn't try to be a copy of the Adobe counterpart. And I do agree to some, to some points there, but I do think that there's, you know, there's the uniqueness approach isn't really that great. And it kind of creates an unnecessary barrier to entry uh, when one set of applications are the dominant solution, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing that's debatable. Uh, it's important to make it easy to get started with them alternative. So if they can easily jump in with the keyboard shortcuts or the workflows, it makes it a lot easier to use it. And a lot of these applications don't have that sort of approach. 
Yeah, and that's uh, honestly, Michael, that's one of the things I love about Inkscape and that I think all programs that are actually competing against monopolies like Adobe should do is have key binding mapping 100%. options that are the same as their Adobe counterparts or customizable in the very least so that, that you could convert them over to the, the key bindings you're used to in, in Adobe. And Inkscape does that out of the box. It used to be a plugin and now it's uh, featured in the latest version 1.0 and higher. And also uh, tools like Blender do that. They allow you yes. to bring in your key bindings from um, Autodesk, uh, 3D Studio Max and uh, Maya. So imagine that some of the most yeah. popular open source programs have that as a div. We talked about this in an episode where we recommended mm -hmm. developers don't shy away from this. Don't try to reinvent the wheel when it comes to shortcuts. This is a way you're going to get people to adopt your platform easier when they go check yeah. it out. If all the shortcut keys are something different for no reason, then you're just creating an additional barrier on top of having to learn the interface, learn where the tools are. Now your shortcuts, you got to relearn too, and they just give up and go back to what they're used to. You want to make that transition easier so we can get people on here. I love hearing how close Inkscape is. Michael, I, in fact, have created some incredible art because I wanted to show people <laughs> what's possible. Why are you laughing? Why are people... <laughs> I'm not la I was not laughing. You didn't hear Stop me laugh. laughing. I, I, I was muted the whole Jill, time, so you could. I'm really disappointed <laughs> no. in how you treated me this episode, Jill. Aww, you no. know, right. I have worked so hard he on spent what I call at least 45 seconds on this. Can I can I talk about this piece for a minute before we? Because yeah, I plan to yeah. NFT it for millions of dollars. Okay, for sure. Um, <laughs> all right. Mm -hmm. So this piece was created around the time we did the apocalypse episode of Linux. So we were going to talk about Inkscape's new version in the new section. And because of that, I spent seconds creating this art. Um, and that you may be like, what? that doesn't sound like a lot of time, but I just let it out of my heart. I let it flow. Just let and it flow. here I want to present to the world Psychopolyps. Michael, will you please show Psychopolyps to people? I have shown it. And this masterpiece, just you, you don't uh -huh. even need to describe it. It you Words can't really give its due Thank you know you. it's <laughs> actually Ryan it's it's a nice use of positive and negative space and I like that you included a 3d element there <laughs> I, I love you Jill I love you so much that you I wish you were my professor in school you know because I feel like you would really get me in my artistic abilities okay so now you guys know why I'm kind of asking the questions and Jill and Michael are answering because I have zero artistic capability on that note let's go <laughs> zero, into you see this it's it's masterpiece oh masterpiece, i yes. was teasing you earlier ryan you know you get an a for it's okay. effort yeah it's okay yes <laughs> you know believe it or not art actually is a thing like my dad's a really good artist my brother is yeah. and then it skipped me entirely like Aww. entirely all right so let's talk about indesign adobe indesign do we have anything to replace that with we do great <laughs> yep, we have Scribus. So Scribus is a layout publishing tool like InDesign. You can use it to do layouts or like magazines, newspaper, brochures, that, that sort of design work for print and stuff like that. It supports a lot of the similar f functions that InDesign does. And I wouldn't say that it's in the same realm as InDesign, but I would give it a, in the same perception that Inkscape is to Illustrator, I would say Scribus 
pretty much is to InDesign. I think Scribus is, has a lot of potential, and the work being done on it is is impressive and very. I'm very thankful to the developers that created Scribus and, of course, Inkscape because they're putting in the effort to provide a solution for those who are looking for such an alternative. Plus CMYK support in Scribus, color support there, yep. spot colors, ICC mm-hmm. color management, PDF creation, vector drawing tools, a uh, huge file type, bunch of different file types for import and export. It supports emulation of colorblindness and the rendering of markup language like Latex or Lily Pond inside of this tool. And it has a nice template base where if you're creating brochures, magazines, business cards, all those things, it has templates for those, which is pretty awesome. So if you've never checked out Scribus, Definitely something to mm-hmm. take a look at. You know, it's been around since the years of Quark Express. And cool. I remember using Scribus in the classroom and the students looking at me, what's that program? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm thankful it's been around. It's a great alternative. It's got some really cool features and some that I want to use for actually the conference coming up. Some of the template designs that it has for business cards and things like that. So now we get in a category that I can talk about a little more, which is the alternatives to Premiere Pro. So all of us are content creators and create content in video. So I've utilized Caden Live, Blender, Lightworks, um, not DaVinci Resolve, which I'll get into in a second. I have real problems with this one, although I'm glad it exists and some people can use it in Linux. It does create some issues with its compatibility. But overall, this is a category, again, that Linux was really bad in about three, four years ago. I had to create a bunch of videos kind of combating this in the Linux world because specifically DaVinci Resolve, people would go to try to install DaVinci Resolve when they were coming to Linux. They were trying to kind of copy that 30 days of Linux that I was doing. They would try to get that professional option DaVinci Resolve to run and it never runs because for whatever reason, DaVinci Resolve has this thing for NVIDIA and they don't work well with AMD at all in the Linux world and even in the Windows world, it doesn't work very well with AMD. Uh, And getting it installed and working on distros is very difficult. You have to have that NVIDIA card or you have to use the AMD Pro drivers and there's lots of issues there, but I will be happy, I am happy to say that DaVinci Resolve is definitely at the same level and in some ways superior entirely to Adobe Premiere Pro. It would be, you would be taking this one has this and this one has that feature and doing a battle against it because DaVinci Resolve does some absolutely amazing things. For me, Lightworks has been the professional one that I recommend to most people. It's not open source, but there are movies made with it. It has some incredible capabilities. The multi-cam support is insane in it, very easy to use and runs in every Linux distro. And of course, I edit videos in Blender, which Michael makes fun of me, but Blender (laughs) is the Swiss army knife of everything. And you can do everything in Blender, and it actually I don't make makes fun a of you for using Blender. It's because Blender yeah. is so complicated and complex to even <laughs> learn how to use. Like there was a tutorial where someone put on YouTube like an entire course of how to use Blender, and afterwards it's done. Basically, it was saying like this is this is how complicated it is, and there was like fifteen different videos just for the basics of Blender. And I think you also made a video yourself talking about how mm-hmm. to use Blender and teaching people to use it for video editing. It's really cool that it can do that, but it's not what it's yeah. for. So it's just kind of funny that that's your go-to now. The reason why is because I wanted to learn more of the 3D art capabilities and be able to include that into my edits. And Blender has this amazing ability, as you know, to create and render 3D art. And so being able to learn that interface through video editing, which is something my mind understands, 3D art, it does mm-hmm. not. 
video rendering it does, uh, allowed me to learn the interface very well for Blender. So that's why I actually got into using it for that because it was something that I needed to get done. And no, it is not the easiest one to use. If you get into Kaden Live and those things, far easier, make far more sense than their default layout. But it is a very powerful video editor blender and can do some really cool things. But Kaden Live itself has come so far, oh, so far in the last couple years. Like it is in a whole different level. It went from like level one, if you want to be frustrated and have your stuff crash all the time, use Kaden Live to like real near semi-pro, pro level video editor. It's got a few things missing, but my gosh, that development team has kicked butt with Kaden Live. Agreed. Um, Kaden Live is what I use for my videos and for editing this, this podcast and all the other stuff I edit. It's fantastic. It allows you to do a lot of different things that professional tools provide. And it's surprising to a lot of people when you go into an open source uh, video editor and have that much control. I've seen people tell me that they don't like using Kaden Live because it's too complex. It's too hard to learn. And it kind of makes me laugh about the sense that you know, that's a good sign when it comes to professionals because we want all that power and all those features. Absolutely. So it's kind of like, yes, you're right. It is kind of hard to get started. But once you get started, you see all its power. It has rotoscoping. It has masking. It has even support for doing uh, matte layer transitions. And there's just a lot of cool stuff that makes Caden Live possible to be professionally used. And I wouldn't consider myself a professional editor, but I do put in the effort to make sure that I can use Caden Live in a level that I am satisfied with the like the motion graphics and stuff that I do and the the animations and stuff. And also, if you go back to a couple episodes of Destination Linux, where Ryan insisted that I put a, a subscribe button that followed his finger, and I did that with Caden uh, Live, yes. and it worked perfectly, <laughs> I think. <laughs> yep, very well done. Caden Live has just, it's come so far that I can now recommend it for my students as an alternative to Adobe Premiere. Not completely, but uh, partially. So at least they have that free option. But I actually ha have my students using DaVinci Resolve um, yep. for many reasons. It is industry standard. In fact, it's taking over from the Adobe suite. It, <laughs> Adobe has been noticing this. And a lot of the television studios are using it in the movie production houses. And one of the reasons is that, for one, DaVinci Resolve is less expensive, under $300. And you get a whole suite, which really combines Adobe Premiere and Adobe After Effects with superior industry standard color correction and compositing built in. So it is an all-in-one suite, like animation and motion graphics of Adobe, but a lot less expensive, and you don't you, you you can work in the cloud to collaborate, but you just buy one standalone license and you're done. And at least unlike Adobe, <laughs> they do some work to make it work in Linux. Yeah, like Adobe that does nothing to make it work in Linux. I just wish somehow we could get the developers of DaVinci Resolve and the Flatpak crew together to yes. come oh, that together so cool. and make yeah. DaVinci Resolve yeah. a Flatpak, and then we would have the yeah, literal best idea. alternative to video editing, even though it's not open source yet, no matter um, right now, just let's get this on the platform in a sustainable way where anybody can install it and enjoy DaVinci Resolve for what it is. And then we can work on the open source thing later. DaVinci yeah. will be coming for you. But uh, on that front, but DaVinci Resolve is amazing. Like the things that yeah. people can do with it is insane. It's just that installer problem and that AMD issue 
that we need to get figured out. And this would help yeah. them tremendously, <laughs> too, because like you said, Joe, a lot of the movie studios, they're not using Windows. They're yeah. using Linux on the back end to yeah. do these render farms and things. Exactly. And one of the reasons DaVinci Resolve relies on uh, Red Hat RPM installation. And that that trickles down from Unix because the animation industry went from Unix to Linux, especially, you know, in 3D animation, went Unix to Linux. And even um, Maya, Maya was made originally only for Red Hat. And a lot of the old programs, um, the older animation programs were meant just for Red Hat. So that's what they developed it on. Yeah. So so that's why you can get it to work just fine on Ubuntu. Actually, it works really well on Debian. Uh, it actually, Jill, doesn't yeah. work really well on anything if you don't have an NVIDIA card. Yeah, it's... In my, it's, in my yeah. opinion. Well, yeah. again, because it needs that CUDA and it needs the compute. Yeah. So... So I wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about the color correction that Jill mentioned with DaVinci Resolve because it's not just that it's better than Premiere Pro, it's that it is drastically, like astronomically better. It's considered the number one option for color correction in the video industry. And I think that's awesome that we have that as an available for a Linux user, provided that they have NVIDIA. So one of the wonderful things about DaVinci Resolve is that with that color correction, what stands it out from a lot of the Adobe products is the integration of 3D and being able to do 3D compositing and color correction with your 3D scenes that you can import from uh, Blender, from Maya, from 3D Studio. That is awesome. Very important. And also- Flatpak, AMD support, we would have the best option on Linux available in the industry. It'd be the number one choice that you would give someone because it does fit that professional tool and it's better than Adobe Premiere Pro in a lot of ways. Premiere Pro has some cool stuff that it is better than Resolve in some ways, but for the most part, the fact that it's even on the same tier that you can argue which one's better is a great sign, and the fact that it's available Mm -hmm. on Linux is awesome, provided you have NVIDIA. But there's also another application I wanted to talk about, and that is Olive. So Olive is an application I think has a ton of potential. Now it's not in the, it's currently in like an alpha beta stage of development with the latest version. They have an older version you can try out that just kind of gives you a demo of what it can do. And you can try out the beta version if you want to. But the Olive video editor is something I think is very impressive because it kind of tries to blend some of the concepts of Kdenlive and Premiere Pro and provide a professional level tool that is, you know, trying to do an open source approach to Premiere Pro, and it does it quite well. Now, it doesn't have every feature that I want, but it is an impressive application, and I can't wait to see what the future holds because they are just killing it with starting from scratch and making a very good video editor, and I don't expect it to take that much longer to get to that point because they've been doing it so quickly already, and Mm -hmm. I'm very excited. As far as recommending, if you want to do content creation, those things, go Caden Live. You don't yeah, need Kaden to Live pay for, sure. for any of this. Yeah. It's open source. It's amazing. It's come so long. And I think one of the biggest issues was crash recovery back in the day with Caden Live, and they fixed that. Mm-hmm. I've never had an unrecoverable crash in Caden Live in the last three years. Um, there's been times, very rarely, that it crashes, and when it does, it recovers itself. So no issues there. I've had issues with Caden Live crashing fairly recently. I don't know what the combination was, but the thing that I love about Caden Live is that when it does crash, it gives you a copy of the Caden Live project so you don't lose any of your data. 
So it's, exactly. ba- it's creating uh, on the fly, it's creating autosaves for you. Like it's not creating a save for your existing project. Like you need to save it yourself, but it is creating uh, automatic copies of your project inside of your system just in case, which I love that. And when I found that it did that, it blew my mind because there was one time where it just popped up and said, hey, would you like to recover? Uh, yes, please. Thank you very much. And then all of the stuff is back and I'm good to go. Like that is a f- it not I'm only so recovered my that. stuff, but it recovers my stuff from seconds ago. So it was like yes. very recent recovery, which is great. Mm-hmm. All right. So moving on into this next category, uh, photography. Me and Michael have shown on the Hardware Addicts podcast where Wendy is obviously a professional photographer, but we've blown Wendy away with our knowledge of cameras. <laughs> And yeah, our ability sure. to keep our cameras in auto mode. Like, she just thinks we are, I think we kind of fooled her a little bit. She thinks we're, like, super good at cameras. The best. <laughs> we have such great autofocus that you just can't even tell that we don't know what, we, we, don't, we yeah. know what we're doing. I didn't say that. We know what we're doing. We have this, this great approach to uh, photography that we actually get requests to do speeches at different conferences. Now, unfortunately, we don't have the time to do those things. Yeah, but, we apologize. You know. We're very busy, very busy. But so we could, Michael and I could totally go in here and talk to you about right. the best alternative to Lightroom. But I guess we should let Wendy do it. Whatever. No, let's let's have the beautiful Wendy tell us all about it. She's Wait, amazing. You didn't want us to do it, Jill? <laughs> what about our ability? Like, our ability to do photography is equal to our awesomeness at parkour. So, yeah. like, we maybe, better let Wendy do it now that you I, said yes. it that way, Michael. Okay, that's fair. So, Wendy, take it away. Thanks, Michael, for that super awesome introduction. Lightroom is the raw photo processing software of the Adobe Suite. Now, what does that mean? You take those uncompressed files that your super awesome dedicated camera can do and some of your smartphone cameras, and you're able to manipulate them. Say your image is too dark and you need to lighten it, or there's a color cast that needs to be removed. You can also do some awesome creative things with these different pieces of software like Lightroom. Now we have two great options when it comes to the open source world. That's Raw Therapy and Darktable. Raw Therapy is probably going to be the easiest for someone who is transferring over from Adobe to an open source solution. And that's because the modules or the different tools, the parts and pieces that you're manipulating are named a lot closer to the same thing. And then how you manipulate those tools or those different settings is very similar between a Lightroom and a Raw Therapy. Another one of the awesome things that Raw Therapy can do is if something's just a little bit out of focus, not really out of focus, but just a little bit out of focus, is it can help bring that back. That's super nice to when your focus is just a little bit off. Maybe your lens needs adjusted, but you've already got this image. You've got to make it work. And that's one of the places where raw therapy can really come in and help you out. Now, my favorite of these two is Darktable for sure. It's the one I started with, but it is very, very different to Lightroom. The modules are named quite a bit different. How you manipulate those things is also quite a bit different. But one of the things that it does have that Lightroom also has is masking. Say you have a portrait of a person, they're under a tree, and now there's some green cast on them. You can use two different kinds of masks to help correct this. One, you don't want the green behind them to change colors, just what's on their skin tone. 
You can use a drawn mask to single out the person or just their face. And then you can use a parametric mask, whether it's based on luminosity, a certain hue, and whatnot, and adjust it from there. The masking is an amazing tool. There is so many different modules. I could deep dive into a lot of the different advanced things that you can do with these, but know they are incredibly awesome. Raw photo manipulation pieces of software. Both of them offer great things, but of the two, Darktable is my favorite and definitely for that masking. Hope that helps. I'm back to the studio. Of course, I guess Wendy did a better job explaining those options than we could. Thank you very much, I'm Wendy. All joking aside, Aww. you are amazing. Your hardware attic segment, the camera corner, has been one of the most popular segments on that show since we started. So I guess people want to hear from Wendy more than me and Michael. Fine. But there's a reason for that because you're awesome, Wendy. And thank you. And Wendy is obviously a very professional photographer. And some of her work that I've seen has just absolutely blown me away. So definitely take what she says to the bank. We did get a super chat, Michael, and it was asking us about an alternative to Dreamweaver. We hadn't planned out an alternative to Dreamweaver, but this is an interesting one. I used to use Dreamweaver back in the day for the WYSIWYG functionality of creating sites by dragging things around. So let's get into it. What are some alternatives to Dreamweaver that you can use in the open source world? Blue Griffin's one, for instance, I tried out. Is that one you would say is a good alternative? So Blue Griffin is a good alternative to Dreamweaver, but I have a different perspective of like the concept of what Dreamweaver is. But before I get to that, I want to take a second to just say, if you don't know that the show is live, it is live every week. And also this is proof that it's live because we we're changing our show based on a super chat. Thank you very much for that super chat. So the Dreamweaver approach I feel like is out of date and isn't even necessary. You don't need an alternative to Dreamweaver because even though Blue Griffin is a good alternative to Dreamweaver, in my opinion, the concept of having a application on your computer to do HTML and a little bit of CSS and stuff like that is out of date and really obsolete because you can use different tools online to accomplish the same thing easier and deploy it much, much faster. Because if you have a WordPress instance, for example, you could use Elementor or Divi, which are plugins for WordPress and allow you to do WYSIWYG changes on your website and then deploy them immediately and then you're done. You don't have to worry about getting the files, uploading to a server, setting up the server and all the other stuff that Dreamweaver and the, 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 the same things like that would require you to do because they're simplistic in what they allow and these other tools that are on the cloud basically eliminate all of that hassle and you just have a change it, deploy it, and you're done. And this is there's probably dozens of solutions for that. I was just mentioning the WordPress one because WordPress is very uh, popular. It's an open source uh, CMS that is basically 35% of the internet this, these days. But it's uh, there's also a lot of other options. And there's even like software as a service, different services that you could do that do the same kind of approach where you just do a WYSIWYG style. And for those who don't know what that means, it means what you see is what you get. So it's just more of a visual editing style rather than doing coding or anything like that. Very nice. And Michael, you create websites professionally for people. So again, I guess you could take that straight to the bank and other languages mm -hmm. you had mentioned too, you could put together nowadays if you're needing to create more complex things and is honestly the standard it's the same thing I have to do with my folks who do web development on my team. We don't just use HTML and CSS anymore. We have to take a bunch of different languages 
and put them together to create the effects and needs. We can't use a WYSIWYG to accomplish any of that. So right. I mean, I agree. There's pros and cons of WYSIWYGs, depending on what you are. Like, if you're a professional in this space, like I am, I, I don't really use WYSIWYGs. But there are some that are fantastic. Like I mentioned Elementor and Divi. Divi is more for the kind of person who wants to make something that's WYSIWYG but doesn't have the code skill uh, knowledge already. And Elementor is more of the other side where it's a WYSIWYG for professionals. So you get the benefit of doing WYSIWYG, but also it kind of requires you to know how the different code works and to be able to make changes that way. So it it's allows a professional who knows how to do it not have to do it. And that's a fantastic combination. That's a hybrid that I love because it makes it possible for me to use all the knowledge I have without having to use all of that knowledge manually. <laughs> yep. But there's a lot of other options as well. There's just there's tons. But the thing about you know these Dreamweaver stuff, they're just not they're 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 just out of date and obsolete at this point. So there are some that you could check out. Like if you want to try out Blue Blue Griffin. That's a great option for the as an alternative, but I would say that you know check out all the different other solutions for cloud, and you can't really list them all because there's hundreds. Well, that's it. We have covered a gamut of solutions in the open source and some not open source, but definitely in the Linux world that you can use to replace the Creative Cloud suite. So if you've been on the fence of getting rid of that Windows partition, or you've been on the fence of wanting to switch to Linux, hopefully, if you could, as you could see, most of these are 80, 90 percent sometimes as good as the alternatives for Adobe, there's still some work to be done, much like we had in the past with video editing, much like we had in the past with gaming. But one of the things Linux does is it overcomes. And when we have conversations like this, honest conversations to say this is where we're at and this is where we need to be with things like Photoshop, we see those things change and shift and the developers uh, get in there and community members who have the skill set get in there and they create that next level application so that we can fully replace these suites because nobody should have to be tied in to a specific suite determining what operating system they use. And hopefully one day, maybe Adobe will come around as competition has been heating up for them and so many elements, not only in open source, but outside of that and bring a port to Linux to try to save their business. But if they don't, they're just going to end up getting replaced by an open source alternative eventually. It will happen, I think. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Uh, Blender's already done it with a lot of our uh, proprietary uh, uh, biggie animation projects. <laughs> Blender <laughs> has is basically taken over a spot. like It has become the go-to in a lot of ways. And yeah. also, like the latest version with the 3.0 is just... So much Blender better. spectacular. It's, it's, it's yeah. just yeah. awesome. Yep, that's a perfect example, Jill. Blender is mm -hmm. a case that shows what will happen if you just sit there and don't do anything. Blender's come in and kind of become the industry standard in there. I love yeah. Blender for so many reasons. Gosh, it's such a great alternative for almost everything. You could do anything with Blender, which is so great. But you know what? When you're going in and let's say you heard this episode and you're like, I want to check out Photopea because I need some of those more professional elements. Well, you're going to need to create an account. And you're going to want to make sure that account is secure. You're going to need a good password. And you know what you need for that, Michael? Bitwarden. Bitwarden. <laughs> That's right. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash tux. A password manager is software that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. Bitwarden provides you the tools to store all your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords and usernames for you, and even automatically fill them in. That's right. Now it can auto-generate usernames for you, which makes it even cooler. 
You can get access to data across all of your devices, whether you want it in your web browser as an extension, you want it on an app on your phone, you want it on your desktop, you can put Bitwarden literally everywhere. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves your device so you know you're the only person with access to your data. Michael, there was also another announcement Bitwarden had this week of another service that they're adding in, which is a service I talked about as an extension that I absolutely adore. Oh, yeah. You wanna give us a little hint about this? So this is really cool. It's basically being able to, in addition to generating passwords, generating your usernames, you can also now generate email addresses with Firefox Relay and so two awesome. other services that it, it incorporates. This is such an important service. One of the most important things that I use now is this Relay because you need to sign up for sites at times. Do you know these sites can go nuts with the amount of notifications and emails and everything else they send you? Well, Relay allows you to create dummy email addresses, but you can still get those emails sent to you for the time you need them, like to get a verification or whatever. And then you can delete it and generate a different email later if you need to, or add multiple different email servers. It's amazing. Go check it out. But Bitwarden now interacts with that. Go to bitwarden.com slash tux. They support us. They allow all of this stuff to be possible through their sponsorship. Show them how much you love them. Go to bitwarden.com slash tucked and sign up for their $10 premium account. Or if you can't afford that, no problem. They have a free account with tons of amazing features on there as well. We want to thank Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. If you've been wanting to ditch iOS or Android for yes. something true, yes, me too, for truly open source and privacy friendly <laughs> solution, uh, and I am a big fan of these types of approaches, and I think this one is a very interesting thing. So we're, we want to pay close attention to this announcement because Murina has announced the Murina 1X2. Now, to be clear, I don't know if it's actually pronounced Marina or not, but that's what I think it's pronounced. So, Good enough. Yes. And also, it makes me, it kind of reminds me of Purina 1. But anyway, which comes paired with the privacy friend EOS or slash E slash OS, which attempts to decouple most of all of the uh, Google services from Android while still allowing the functionality for those critical apps that you need. It basically stops most of the Android privacy issues and tracking with the true open source mobile OS. I love EOS. I love the idea of EOS. I just, the name, the name just... Uh, I'm sorry, EOS. EOS. I, yeah, no. I can't. The E slash OS. This is not a great. No, sorry, yeah, you, you, you mispronounced it. It's slash E slash OS. <laughs> slash yeah. E slash. I, I don't. I, it's I, but very this is exciting news. I don't want to beat up on just a name because EOS yeah. has done an amazing job. Their actual mm -hmm. operating system is super super cool. And listen, anything that breaks up the monopoly that is Android and iOS. I am all for 100% bored. This is somebody coming from the telecom industry. Like we need it so bad to get away from this duopoly here in this. So I love this concept and creating their own phone, I think is a very important step towards this. And this isn't a sleeper phone. It's actually got some decent specs. A lot of times some of these phones that come out like this are really, really low end devices. This is definitely in your mid tier range here. You get a 6.53 inch full HD plus IPS display at 1080 by 2242. You get 395 PPI pixel density and octa-core MediaTek Helio P60, which is backed by the Mali G72 GPU. It's got four gigabytes of RAM, which we'd a little higher on the RAM spec, but that's good enough to run uh, most applications and things pretty decently. 48 megapixel main lens. Wendy will tell us megapixels aren't everything, but at least they have some good stats here this we'd like to see what the glass is see i do learn mm -hmm. on hardware addicts michael yes, i'd like do. to know what the glass <laughs> is 
that they're using here. And their secondary lenses are eight megapixel and five megapixels. So they've got a three camera array here and you're getting all of this for $369. So this isn't a thousand dollar phone or a $1,500 phone, but 369, which is quite reasonable for what you're getting. And you get a phone pre-installed with EOS. So you don't have to do any of the extra steps or buy some other phone and then try to hack into it and worry about losing your warranty or anything else. You can get this Marina phone and based on our research, and this has been really hard to tell, I think Marina and EO Marina is the big company that produces EOS. That's I don't know if that's true because mm. it's very confusing, but it seems to be that's the case. My guess is that Marina is like the commercial branch of the E Foundation. So like they're kind of on the same tier. Mm but one is for the open source thing and one's for the commercial part. It's kind of like how Mozilla has Mozilla Foundation and Mozilla Corporation. Like that's how I feel like it's it's sort of that approach where they have like their equal fit footing, but I'm not totally sure because it's not super clear on their, any, either one of the East, the E Foundation website or the Marina website, I, I don't know. But that's my guess. And here's the offer I want to make to the Marina team out there is that we will run these phones on this show Get us three samples of these devices. Jill, myself, and Michael have committed that we will run these phones. Absolutely. And give them a really good try. So I, I, I'm i really excited about this, and I want to get them in the hands. So if they want, we could do a lot with them together in partnership here to see some of the ideas that we have to make these devices something premier that people want to use in open source. But just again, the idea of getting away from Android and iOS, it's blissful to me. It's like a dream. It's paradise yes. just thinking about it security issues alone <laughs> just <laughs> privacy yeah. like privacy imagine having privacy back on a phone my gosh <laughs> so murina or e foundation get in touch yes there you go we will hook you up jill take us into the gaming section because this threw me this game is saying it's the father it is the yeah. father it's like a murray episode i am the father of CSGO? It's yeah. the father of CSGO? It is called Action. Action is a fast-paced multiplayer first-person shooter that spawned actually one of the most popular and in influential games of all time, Counter-Strike. <laughs> Absolutely, Counter -Strike. Ryan. Not good at it, but I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Same here. And uh, the developers went actually for a more Hollywood-style realism than other FPS games at that time. So the weapons are based on real rifles, shotguns, and pistols, and the combat is fast-paced and brutal. It's showing its age, but it's still got lots of fun to give back. That's for sure. <laughs> Over 600 community-made maps. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. It also feels like this is a revitalization of that game, so it's like a modern approach to this retro-style game. So it, it looks like it has all the stuff that it did support now supports in this, and this is really cool. I had no, I didn't know what, the, what it meant when it said action was the father of counter-strike when yeah. i saw the when i first saw it i read it as acution because it's spelled yes. a q t i o n yeah, the game is a q t i o n for those right. wanting to look it up right i had yeah. no idea what this was and then i looked it up and got found some more details it was it refers to the original action quake which was yeah. a mod for quake and i do remember that and that made sense. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense now. I get why they're talking about it being the father of Counter-Strike. So that that's really cool. And I I remember playing Action Quake a long time ago, but I, I, I'm not sure 
if the graphics will hold up very well for now. <laughs> so, well, you know, I was actually really impressed by it. It even had, uh, when I was playing it, it even even has when you when you sustain damage, you start limping and, and your character slows down. Right. So That's they really cool. tried for that that realism, and I, I was really impressed by that. And yeah, speaking of which, Michael, Action Quake, you know, it really set the stage for Counter-Strike, Call of Duty, and all the other realistic modern FPS games that followed. And what's also interesting is not only the um, connection with Quake, but the rabbit hole goes even deeper with um, Action Quake was originally a mod for Valve's Half-Life. <laughs> and I remembered that as we when we were in our meeting a couple days ago. I was thinking, you know, I think it was a Half-Life mod, but I had to go and check. And sure enough, and yeah, it's I had a mod of both. It. it was a mod of Quake yeah, it's a mod and Half-Life. Yeah. Originally Quake and then Half-Life. Yeah. Action Quake's got some explaining <laughs> to do. It's the father of a lot of projects out there. <laughs> it sure is. And it's free to play on Linux from day one. It That's just came awesome. out for us on Steam. <laughs> way to destroy Ryan in this retro first yeah. <laughs> Never happened. Never happened. It's, you have no chance, Ryan. No chance. I'll show you who's the daddy. <laughs> we, we should... <laughs> We'll have to Talk play. Talk about uh, awkward. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll have to play team deathmatch with the three of us, or capture the flag. <laughs> I, so I wasn't expecting that. I, uh-huh. if you weren't going to do a pun, I was going to do a pun, like yeah. you know, Counter Strike. I am your father. That type of thing. <laughs> That's but, what um, I was thinking this whole yeah. time. I am your father. Well, Yours was to the next level. Yeah, yours was out, out out of the left field, and I I respect it. <laughs> thank you, thank you. All right, so let's get into our software spotlight, which is Cider. This is a really good name. Talk about good names. This is a good name for what this app does. So until you get your new Marina phone, you may be stuck in the Apple ecosystem and looking for ways to still utilize some of those Apple services while you're in your Linux desktop because you're probably locked into those services since you're using Apple. Thankfully, mm-hmm. you can keep listening to Apple Music using an app called Cider, which again, I absolutely adore this name. Cider lets you listen to Apple Music on your Linux operating system, has features such as Discord, Last.fm integration, spatial audio support, equalizers, remote control, using the companion apps, and so much more. So check out Cider. It's available as a flat pack which is what I want to see DaVinci Resolve available as as well. It's available as a flat pack if you need to use that as your music listening service. The tip of the week this week, we're going to be talking about something that it's kind of interesting because we've talked about how there's different variables and like the tilde key is a variable in your command line to define home. There's also another one that isn't clear exactly when you first start using it, uh, but you might see it in something like CD. Uh, period, period, slash, and that will kind of make you jump between a, a previous a previous directory. But that period means the current directory that you are you are in right now. So if you wanted to use, you know, uh, copy a file to another to another file or another folder, you don't have to put the actual path. You can go to that path or that directory inside of your your terminal and then do cp the actual path to the existing file and then just put period and it will move that file 
to the current directory that you were in. And you can use this on all sorts of different types of scripts, and you can also do multiples. So like period, 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 slash would also jump up to directories, and so on. There's a lot of different stuff you can do with that. And I think the key to this is knowing period represents your current directory, so you can actually use this across many commands and many scripts, and it is very powerful once you start messing around with stuff like that. Nice. So getting into our announcements, we have Der Hans, who has hooked us up with all of the conferences you should be prepared to go to. The first one is Southeast Linux Fest, June 10th through the 12th, and our very own Cubicle Nate, Nate mm -hmm. from Linux Out Loud and Linux Saloon is going to be there at Southeast Linux Fest, which is awesome. We have the Open Source Summit North America, Austin, Texas, June 21st through the 24th. Scale, where you'll get Michael, Jill and myself, July 28th through the 31st, we will be together at scale. So that's one you do not want to miss. And we have the 25th, Michael. Guadec. Thank you. Uh, that's going to be taking place in... Guadalajara. On July 20th through the 25th. And then we have Nest with Fedora, August 4th through the 6th to check out as well. So a huge... Thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we love your faces. We're here every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern live at DLNlive.com. And the best part, everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. If you're not here watching the recording live, honestly, you're missing a lot of show content. Uh, there's so many conversations and things <laughs> that go on to make this show happen. If you've not experienced it, you need to at least try to experience it once to see how this show gets produced. It will shock you that a show actually comes out of this. Well, there is an alternative to that, Ryan. They could become a patron and get the unedited versions of the show yep. and watch it anytime yeah. they want to. Go to tuxdigital.com slash contribute and click on the patron button for Destination Linux and you can get the unedited versions. You can see all the, the glorious content that you're not able to check out and you can join us and the and the other patrons in the patron-only post show in our 60,000 square foot virtual stadium and we have this post show every week after the show. So join us by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute and becoming a patron. And you, if you also want to, you can check out the swag that we have to contribute to the show. You can go to tuxdigital.com, <laughs> click on the store link and you can pick up some swag. We have t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, coasters, stickers, like we talked about earlier in the show. So much great stuff. Go to tuxedos.com slash store, and you can get access to all the great stuff that we have for some swag. Make sure to check out all our wonderful shows here on Tux Digital. We have the Pseudo Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, Linux Out Loud, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and Linux Saloon. So everyone head to TuxDigital.com and subscribe to all these awesome shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have an extremely awesome week and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination i love it you know we need shirts with extreme on them. i mean it's become like a staple now michael agreed. like yeah, yeah. agree and we also have that... to have the like a smiley face inside of the extreme somehow i like it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh <laughs> i have to get that done it'll be extreme <laughs>